Well, good morning, New Day. Thanks so much for uh, being with us in person and online as we continue our teaching series, Christ the King, where we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. Now, last week, we didn't get into a particular passage. Last week, instead, I kicked off the series by covering a high-level overview of the book so that as we got into the individual pieces of the book um, in the weeks and months to come, uh, you'd have a better understanding of those individual pieces uh, having first been given a high-level overview. So last week, uh, we didn't get into any particular text. We just kind of introduced the author, and we learned that the Gospel of Matthew was written by the Apostle Matthew. And we learned that his aim in writing was to proclaim to all that Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus born of the Virgin, that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ, is the King that God promised to one day send into the world. Well, having given you that high-level overview last week, uh, you're now ready and we're now ready to go ahead and dive into the text itself. So today, our text is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, and our theme this week is the king's ancestry, the king's ancestry. Now, Ancestry, in my mind, is a double-edged sword. Here's why. If it's not your ancestry, nothing could be more boring and uninteresting to read and to study and to take note of. But on the other hand, if it's your ancestry, it becomes absolutely fascinating because we all have uh, an innate interest to know uh, who we came from. You know, what were our ancestors like? What did they do for a living? And, you know, what kind of people were they? And I'm guessing that that's why uh, Ancestry.com has become such a popular website. If you've never heard of it, Ancestry.com is a company that helps you to go ahead and dig into your genealogical records so that uh, you can learn more about your ancestry. I actually signed up for it recently, and it's been absolutely fascinating to dive into my own genealogical records. I learned that my uh, great-grandfather on my mom's side of the family, Constantine Colucci, was born in 1890 in Pescara, Italy, And that my great-grandfather on my dad's side of the family, Nello Sorsinelli, was born in 1894 in Pissarro, Italy, only two hours away. Now, my mom's side of the family uh, immigrated from Italy to the United States in 1902. And then my dad's side of the family immigrated uh, into the United States in 1909. So long story short, there were two families living in Italy, only two hours apart, that had to travel over 4,000 miles to a different country in order to meet. And Lord knows I'm so glad that they did. Now, you really have to do some digging in Ancestry.com. So I'm only several generations in, as you can see. 
but I can't wait uh, to see how far back I can go and just can't wait to see uh, what I learned. But so far, uh, I'm just fascinated uh, by my ancestry. Because the reality is, um, in our culture, there's been this uptick in interest in genealogical information um, and DNA information because people in our culture, they want to know uh, where do we come from? Who are my ancestors? What did they do for a living? What kind of people were they? And so there's been this uptick in interest uh, related to DNA and to genealogical records. We want to look up our family tree to learn about the uh, famous uh, as well as to see if there's anyone in our family who was infamous. And this has become so popular to do that hardly two years ago, a private equity fund in New York called Blackstone bought Ancestry.com for $4.7 billion. You see, they realized that this interest in genealogies, uh, it's not going away. This interest in Ancestry, it's not going away. It's only growing. So they just bought out the company. And now they're taking Ancestry.com to the next level in order to meet the ever-growing demand for genealogical information. Well, what I want you to understand today is that the ancient Jews were just like us in regards to having a deep interest in genealogies and in ancestry. They, too, wanted to know where they came from, who their ancestors were, and what they were like. So they kept detailed genealogical records. But for them, it wasn't like recreational. You know, for us, we're just like, we don't really need it for anything. We just think it'd be fun to know uh, the stories of, of the people that we came from. But for the Jews, it was different. For the Jews, genealogical information played a major role, actually, in their everyday lives. For example, for the Jewish people, ancestry determined one's claim to land. If you recall, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They came up out of their slavery. God brought them into the promised land, and the land was divided up and allotted to the people based on ancestry, based on their genealogical information. Ancestry also determined the transfer of property, an example of which we see in the book of Ruth. Ancestry also established the basis of taxation. You may recall how uh, Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem, and that was because taxation was on the basis of ancestry. Also, uh, any claim to the priesthood in the nation of Israel had to be verified genealogically. You may recall how in the Old Testament book uh, called Ezra, the Israelites were leaving their captivity in Babylon and they returned to the land of Israel. And when they got there, there were certain men who claimed to be a part of the priesthood. And that very well may have been true, but here's the deal. Ezra records how they could not find the genealogical records that would prove that they descended from Aaron because a priest in Israel had to be a direct descendant or, you know, a descendant uh, of Aaron. And so they couldn't find their genealogical information and they were therefore denied being a part of the priesthood again because they just didn't have that information. Now, most importantly... Any claim to being the Messiah had to be verified by genealogy. 
For according to Scripture, the Messiah was to descend racially from Abraham and then royally from David. That is, in the same way that a priest had to prove via his genealogical information that he descended from Aaron, so the Messiah had to prove via his genealogical records that he descended racially from Abraham and then royally from King David. And friends, this is why Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy, specifically the genealogy of Jesus, one that traces his ancestry through David all the way back to Abraham. Now, here's the deal. Matthew cannot wait to teach all kinds of practical things on discipleship that he learned directly from Jesus as he traveled with him throughout his earthly ministry. He can't wait to teach us what it means to follow Jesus in the chapters to come. And he can't wait to let us know what it looks like, practically speaking, to appoint Jesus as king over our lives. But before sharing the teaching of the king... Matthew is determined to first establish that Jesus is indeed that king. And that makes sense, right? I mean, do we really want to base our entire lives on the words and ways of Jesus without first confirming that he is who Matthew professes him to be? The Christ? The Messiah? God's promised king? No. Before we dive into all that and base our entire life on the teachings of Jesus, we want to be sure that he is who Matthew says he is and who Jesus himself claimed to be. And so Matthew starts with a genealogy to help verify Jesus' identity as the Christ, the Messiah, God's promised king. And here's why this genealogy in Matthew 1 is so fascinating. I mean, it's really been interesting, actually, for me, because uh, as I've let people know, yeah, we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew, and oh, yeah, this upcoming week here, it's going to be on Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, and and people know that that's the genealogy part of the Gospel, and and people have said, oh, you know, wow, that's that's a dry section of Scripture. And someone else recently said, you know, oh, you're preaching on that? Wow, that's, that's tough, you know, so sorry for you, you know. And I think the general attitude of a lot of Christians is, oh, oh, we get to this. Let's just skip it. Well, friends, God didn't put it in the Bible, and God didn't see to it that it's been preserved for us for some 2,000 years so that we could just ignore it, so that we could just skip over it. Friends, if something's in the Bible, God put it there for a reason, And it's our job as followers of Jesus to go ahead and uh, study what's there to learn why God put it there. And that's just what we're going to do today. Uh, I'll even share this. Uh, Andrew was originally supposed to preach this sermon, uh, but due to the way that COVID uh, uniquely hit his family, it's hit mine too and me as well, uh, but the way it's uniquely hit his family, uh, we just had to go ahead and switch that up. And I uh, ended up taking this sermon. But here's the deal. 
when I called him to say, hey, man, I'll just take this on, um, I was actually, there's a part of me that's like, hey, that's a bunch of extra work. But then there was this other side of me that was actually really excited because before Andrew and his family even got sick, I told my wife, you know, I'm kind of mildly depressed that I don't get to preach on that genealogy because I actually think this is fascinating. And I want to share with you why. Here's why this genealogy is so fascinating. Number one, if you're Jewish, this genealogy is fascinating because as you look at it, you're looking at your own physical ancestry. For obviously, all Jews descend from Abraham. And friends, that's where this genealogy begins, with Abraham. And if you're a Christian, this genealogy is fascinating because in it, you don't see your physical ancestry, but if you're a Christian, when you look at this genealogy, what you see is your spiritual ancestry. For as the Apostle Paul put it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, those who believe are children of Abraham. So Abraham has physical descendants, the Jews, and Abraham also has spiritual descendants, all who believe in Jesus. And whether you're a physical or spiritual descendant of Abraham, today you're learning about your ancestry. Today you're digging into your own roots, and you don't even have to pay the Ancestry.com membership fees, okay? We got that all covered for you. All right, I know that was a longer than usual introduction, but I think a sermon on a genealogy warrants such an introduction. But now that we've got that out of the way, let's dive into our passage, which again is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. If you're taking notes, the first thing we see in our passage is what we're going to call the declaration. The declaration. And this is found in the first part of verse 1 where Matthew writes, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Here, Matthew is declaring something to us, that Jesus is the Christ. He's saying, this is the book or record of the genealogy of Jesus, who is the Christ Growing up, I don't know about you, but growing up, I mistakenly thought that Christ was Jesus' last name. Anybody else here thought that Christ was Jesus' last name? But uh, I came to find out that is actually uh, not the case. You know, I thought my name's Mike Sorsonelli and his name's Jesus Christ, but that's actually, again, not the case. Jesus is his name, but Christ is his title. Take a look. Christ is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Messiah, or in English, Messiah, which means anointed one. So in the Old Testament, it's Messiah. In the New Testament, it's Christ. But regardless of which testament you're in, the word means anointed one, anointed one. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 to 32, God, when he established the nation of Israel, uh, gave them the recipe for making a sacred anointing oil. And God didn't do this uh, without reason, okay? He had a special purpose for this anointing oil. When God had a special task for someone to perform, that person would be anointed with this oil. For example, when God called Aaron 
to the priesthood, he was anointed. Likewise, when God called David to be Israel's next king, he was anointed. And finally, when God called Elisha to be Israel's next prophet, he too was anointed with this oil. And friends, the anointing oil was symbolic, okay? It would be put on uh, the head or poured over the head, and it was symbolic. It represented the presence of God being with the person that was anointed. The presence of God, the power of God was with that person, okay? The presence of God was with them, and therefore God's power was available to them to do whatever God had called them to do, whether that was to serve in the priesthood, whether that was to serve as a king over the nation, or whether that was to serve as a prophet who would instruct the nation spiritually speaking. Well, it was prophesied In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, that one day God would send his Messiah, his anointed one, into the world on whom the Spirit of God would rest to empower him to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison doors to those who were bound. And when Jesus started his public ministry, I want to bring to your mind the reality that Jesus traveled all throughout the hundreds and hundreds of synagogues in the southern part of the nation in Judea. And, And he proclaimed to them, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. And then after doing that in Judea for about a year's time, he went up to the northern part of the nation in Galilee and he entered their synagogues. Maybe you recall how Jesus entered the synagogue in Nazareth. And, and when he was there, they invited him to give the sermon that day. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And he, he took it and he scrolled it down to the place where it says the, that God is going to one day send his anointed one into the world. And Jesus rolls up the scroll after reading the prophecy and he turns to the people and he says, today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus went ahead and claimed, I am the anointed one that God promised to send into the world. And friends, all that to say, that's what Matthew is declaring here in the first part of verse 1 when he says that this is the genealogical record of Jesus Christ. He's saying Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one that God sent into the world for the special purpose of saving the world from the penalty that God's law demands for sin, which is death. So that's the first thing we see in our passage today, the declaration. All right, moving on. After the declaration, the next thing that we see in our text is what we're going to call the verification. All right, after the declaration comes the verification. Matthew's declared to his readers that Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, uh, is the Christ. And this was quite the claim. And Matthew knows that no one's just going to take his word for it and believe his uh, unbelievably audacious claim. Matthew knows that such an audacious claim is going to need to be verified. And so that's what he turns his attention to now uh, from the second half of verse 1 all the way through verse 16. In these verses, we see a genealogy that shows 
that in fulfillment of biblical prophecy, Jesus descended racially from Abraham and royally from King David. And note this, take a look. Matthew is drawing our attention to three characters throughout this genealogy. This is plain as day, that he's drawing our attention to three characters. And the three characters are Abraham, David, and Jesus. In fact, would you humor me, okay? Uh, Would you say that out loud? He's drawing our attention to three characters, and they are Abraham, David, and Jesus. Yes, there's 42 names listed in the genealogy, but Matthew couldn't make it any plainer that there's only three names that he really wants us to focus in on. I mean, in verse 1, three names are mentioned. And then verses 2 to 16 show the connection between the same three names. And then finally, in verse 17, there are three names listed yet again. Other names in the genealogy might be interesting to learn about. And I would say they are. There's all kinds of interesting people listed there. But Matthew's focus is on Abraham, David, and Jesus. So when you read this for your quiet time, when you read it on your own, when you study it uh, with me and with Andrew uh, as we, you know, study it here at church, uh, the focus needs to be on these three men, specifically How in fulfillment of biblical prophecy, Jesus descended racially from Abraham and royally from King David. Okay, to any who might doubt Jesus' messianic credentials, Matthew shares this first verification. Number one, Jesus descended racially from Abraham. Let me explain. When mankind rebelled against God and brought judgment down upon himself for for having sinned, God graciously came to the rescue. And here's what happened. God came to a man named Abraham, and he made a covenant with him, a covenant we typically refer to as the Abrahamic covenant because it's the covenant that God made with Abraham. And in this covenant, God promised Abraham that he was going to turn him into a great big nation, that he was going to give that nation its own land, and he promised that one day a savior would be born in that land who would be one of Abraham's very own descendants. Specifically, God told Abraham that in this way, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. They would be blessed because through Abraham, from Abraham, from his seed, from his offspring, would come uh, a Savior who would bring the blessing of salvation uh, to the whole world, meaning to all who would believe. So the Jews longed with great anticipation for the day when this promised Savior would come into the world, who would descend from Abraham to bring the world the wonderful blessing of salvation. And that being the case, the first thing Matthew shows us in his genealogy is that Jesus is the son of Abraham. That is, the first thing Matthew shows us uh, in his genealogy is that Jesus, in accordance with biblical prophecy, racially is the offspring of Abraham. Now, 
as good as that is, if you are trying to pass as the Messiah, being a physical descendant of Abraham, it's a good start. But Old Testament prophecy requires much more than just that. You see, the prophets foretold not only that Messiah would be the physical offspring of Abraham, the prophecies also said that Messiah would descend from the royal line of David. Therefore, after establishing that Jesus descended racially from Abraham, Matthew additionally points out that Jesus descended royally from David. Jesus descended royally from David. Let me explain. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God established a special covenant with King David. And uh, whereas we called the covenant God made with Abraham the Abrahamic covenant, uh, the covenant that God made with David, we call that the Davidic covenant. And at the core of the Davidic covenant is God's promise to David that one of his descendants would sit on a throne to rule over an eternal kingdom. God gives this promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, and then he makes clear three things. Death will not annul it, the promise. Sin will not destroy it, and time will not exhaust it. In other words, God was letting David know that it was a sure thing. Nothing was going to prevent this covenant from being broken. Nothing was going to stop God's promise uh, to David from being fulfilled. So I want you to follow me here because some of you, this is new. Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant. Mike, what are you talking about? I'm having trouble following along. Let me just make it easy for you. In the Abrahamic covenant, meaning the covenant God made with Abraham, God promised that a savior would come to bring the blessing of salvation to the world. That's Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. But conversely, in the Davidic covenant, in the covenant that God made with King David, God promised that Messiah, the anointed one, would not only be savior, but also king. So the Jews longed with great anticipation, not just for the offspring of Abraham, but also for the offspring of David. They longed with great anticipation for the day when this promised king would come, who would descend from David to rule over God's eternal kingdom. And that being the case, the second primary thing that Matthew shows us in his genealogy is that Jesus is not only the son of Abraham, he is also the son of David. That is the second thing Matthew shows us in his genealogy is that Jesus, in accordance with prophecy, royally is the offspring of David. Now, I know you may have had enough of genealogies just having looked at the one in Matthew chapter 1, but here's the deal. There's a second one in Luke chapter 3, and it's even longer than the one in Matthew chapter 1. But don't worry, we're not going to read it but I do want to reference it. There's two genealogies of Jesus, and the question begs, why are there two? Well, it's actually uh, really simple. Take a look. Matthew's genealogy traces Jesus's ancestry back to David 
through his father's side of the family. And Luke's genealogy, on the other hand, traces Jesus' ancestry back to David through his mother's side of the family. Now, it's kind of like this. When I did my Ancestry.com, I mean, I followed through my dad, his side of the family, and we just kind of had that entire, you know, uh, family tree being built there through Ancestry.com on my dad's side. But guess what? I have a mother. (laughs) And I started looking up uh, her information and her family's information, and that established an entire family tree over here on this side. And hey, guess what? One was a little bigger than the other, and that's how it works out in life, and that's how it works out for the people of the Bible, too. Each genealogy, the one in Matthew 1, the one in Luke 3, each genealogy is the same from Abraham going down to David. But then, from David forward, they're different. From David down to Jesus, they're different. And here's why. Again, it's simple. Take a look. Matthew's genealogy goes through David's son, Solomon, all the way down to Joseph, Jesus' father, while Luke's genealogy goes through David's son, Nathan, all the way down to Mary, Jesus' mother. Even though Mary is not mentioned by name, her father is. We read Haley, that's Mary's father. So even though Mary is not mentioned by name, her father is. So we know that it's her side of the family that we have record of in Luke's genealogy. Now, don't worry, this is not on the test. But I wanted to share this with you because it's actually really important that we have both sides of Jesus's family. Because On Mary's side of the family, Jesus is uh, royalty by blood, but then on Joseph's side of the family, uh, Jesus is royalty by legal right. Jesus was not actually a blood relative of Joseph, his human father, because as we're going to learn next week when we get to the king's birth in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, we're going to see that Jesus, Mary conceived and Jesus was born uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But in being Joseph's son, practically speaking, that gave him the legal right to the throne. So that's great. Through Joseph, Jesus has the legal right to rule. But in fulfillment of prophecy, Messiah had to be a blood relative of David. And friends, that's where Mary's genealogical information comes in. He has the legal right to rule through his father, Joseph, and he has the blood right to rule through his mother, Mary. All of this to say, no matter how you slice it, on both sides of the family, Jesus is revealed to be the royal offspring of David. And that is what Matthew is drawing our attention to. Having made a great declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the King that God promised, Matthew now gives the verification, helping us to see how in perfect accord with biblical prophecy, Jesus was both the son of Abraham and the son of David. All right, moving on. First, we saw the declaration. Second, the verification. Now, thirdly and finally, we see 
the abbreviation. How many of you like a point that begins with abbreviation? All right, here we go. I think Matthew anticipated his readers getting a little lost in the weeds of his genealogy, as maybe uh, some of you have today. And being aware of this danger, the danger of getting lost, Matthew finishes this section with an abbreviated summary of everything that he just covered. So guys, now you know why I'm always doing summaries of my own sermons, okay? This is what I see in Scripture. We saw it with Paul, now we're seeing it with Matthew, and uh, that's why you see it with me. But Matthew gives us an abbreviated summary of everything he just covered in verse 17. Take a look. Matthew writes, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations more. In other words, Matthew's saying, hey, in case you're lost, hey, what I just showed you in verses 2 to 16, it's actually simple. It's just 14 generations from Abraham uh, to David, and then 14 generations from uh, David to the exile, and then 14 generations from the exile to Christ. And in wording it this way, Matthew is once again cueing us in on who we're supposed to be focused on in this genealogical record. And again, it's Abraham, David, and Jesus. He's trying to show us that Jesus was racially descended from Abraham and royally descended from David. So friends, all that to say, in fulfillment of biblical prophecy, Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of David. Now, there's many other prophecies, please understand, that Jesus would have to fulfill to fully confirm his identity as God's anointed one. And Matthew, I don't think, is really expecting anyone to commit their life to Christ based on him fulfilling two of the some 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, concerning the Christ. But what we've seen in our passage today is Matthew begin building his case. Messiah had to be born, the son of Abraham and the son of David. So Matthew covers that in the first half of chapter 1, which we've covered today. Messiah had to be born of a virgin. And and Matthew covers that in the second half of chapter 1, which I'm going to be teaching on uh, next Sunday. Messiah had to come up out of Egypt, as Moses did. Because according to Deuteronomy chapter 18, God would one day raise up a prophet like Moses. And so in fulfillment of biblical prophecy, Messiah had to come up out of Egypt, as Moses did. Well, Matthew covers how Jesus fulfilled that in uh, chapter 2. The Bible says in the Old Testament that Messiah uh, had to come into Galilee as a light illuminating the way of salvation for people who were sitting in spiritual darkness. And guess what? Matthew covers how Jesus fulfilled that in chapter 4. Messiah, Old Testament says, had to heal sickness. And Matthew covers that in chapter 8. Messiah had to speak to the people in parables. That was predicted in the Old Testament. And Matthew covers in chapter 13 how Jesus fulfilled that. 
I'll give you just one more. Messiah, according to the Old Testament, had to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And Matthew covers that in chapter 21. Friends, I could go on and on and on because in Matthew's gospel, Matthew quotes more than 60 times, 61 to be exact, from Old Testament prophetic passages emphasizing all along the way how Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies and those promises. And Matthew's hope is that as we, the reader, go through his gospel, we will see clearer and clearer and clearer the reality that Jesus is who Matthew claims him to be. The Christ. The Messiah. The Anointed One. The One who would descend from Abraham to bring the blessing of salvation to the world and the One who would descend from David to rule as king over God's eternal kingdom. Now, I'm certainly not trying to rush anyone in making a decision to follow Jesus, but here's the deal. For many of you, this isn't your first time at New Day. You've actually been uh, coming here for months or tuning in online for months, and uh, you've heard plenty about Jesus. You have sufficient reason at this point in your life to ask Jesus to be your Savior and to appoint him to be your Lord or King. But you haven't yet. And friend, I want to ask you, why not make today the day that you do that? Today you've learned that Jesus is the Savior that God promised to Abraham. And today you've learned that Jesus is the King who would come uh, from David but you haven't yet made him your savior, nor have you yet made him your king. So again, why not change that and make today the day that you do that? I mean, why continue living with the insecurity that comes from not having your eternity settled? Why continue living without the peace and the strength that Christ provides us through life? And friend, why risk missing out on eternity? Look, we don't try to do scare tactics here at New Day, but uh, the Bible gives us this thing that we're supposed to balance. On the one hand, he says, count the cost. So on the one hand, you see verses in the Bible that say, hey, take your time and really think about whether or not you want to follow Jesus because there's a commitment involved and there's a sacrifice that has to be made. So take your time and think about it. Count the cost. But then on the other hand, we read verses that say our life is like a, a mist. It appears for a short time and then is gone. And so we always have to balance uh, these two uh, uh, groupings of Scripture in the Bible. The one that says, take your time and think about it and make sure you really want to follow Jesus. And then the other ones that let us know that, you know, our life is very quick and could end at any time. Again, I'm not trying to freak anyone out, but I mean, literally on the way here to preach this sermon, I don't know if you can see this or not, but my hands all cut up. I walked out my front door and man, I just, my feet went right out under me on the ice. And I got some precipitous uh, stairs there off my front, and they're made of concrete, and I just, I mean, I could have broke my neck. Thank God I'm all right, but you never know what's going to happen in a day. And your, your, your day can change like that. Your life can change like that. So why risk missing out on eternity? Some of you have more than enough reason to go ahead and ask Jesus to be your savior and to believe that Jesus is that future coming king. And today, some of you need to go ahead and invite him 
to be the king of your life. If today's the day where you want to ask Jesus to rule over your life, and if today's the day that you want to ask Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart, then I want to invite you to join us in our closing prayer. Wherever you're joining us from today, whether you're joining in person or online, would you close your eyes? And would you just focus on God for just a minute? And in your heart, if you want to, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I've come to believe Matthew's testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One who would descend from Abraham to bring the blessing of salvation to the world and the One who would descend from David to rule over an eternal kingdom. I want Jesus to be my Savior, saving me from the penalty the law demands for sin, which is death. But I also want to appoint Jesus to be the king of my life, to sit on the throne of my heart and rule my life according to the Holy Scriptures. God, I pray that you would grant to me now eternal life. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.